I've used this quote before, and I think it's one that we need to remember in our life as we walk with our Lord. Elton Trueblood said this many years ago. He said, the faith that fizzles before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. Now that's a, a, a lot of words, but it means simply this. We all fail at some point. There comes a time that our faith does not reveal what we really want it to reveal. It reveals the inevitable, that we fail, we're human. One of the things I want to do as we look at this passage and then consecutive passages for the next two weeks is to understand something about the walk of those who, who were with Jesus. And today we're thinking about Simon Peter, a man that was, is quoted by many people, more like us than any of the other disciples. He was enchanted by the fact that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He admitted that. He knew that. He was thrilled with the miracles, and he loved to participate, especially walking on water. But yet, when it was called upon him to be the strength and the mighty one, the one that was the example before others, he always seemed to fail. Always. He had a fatal flaw. He was human, just like us. He had a way of anticipating greatness, but never following through. That's just like us. What we must do this morning is to look at his failure. Think about the reality of failure and how our faith can become stronger through our failure. That we won't just give up. It's far too easy to say, I failed, therefore I'm a failure. And many people do that and they walk away from the situation feeling that they've done something great. But the reality is that every failure is an opportunity to learn and to grow stronger to move forwards. We all mess up in life. We sin. We do wrong. We make mistakes, whatever we want to call it. But the reality is that's a part of the human condition. In fact, Paul reminds us of this fact when he speaks personally about himself in Romans chapter 7. He says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do everything that I hate. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do seems to keep happening to me. And the reality of that is where we are because so often in life we start out with the right parameters and direction, but somewhere along the way we get misguided. We follow the flesh. We fall back on our own strength and we fail. My struggle with the word failure and the idea that I have failed is it's too easy of a label to pin on ourselves. We can just say, I failed, and then move on. But the reality is that's a time to examine what's happened. That's a time we look back and say, what should we have actually done? Where did it fall apart, and how can we prevent this from happening again? Unfortunately, many times what we do is we subconsciously stop trying. So my take on failure today is this. Failure is exacerbated many times by inaction. We attempt something and we give up. Now let me let you understand this. Failure is not making an attempt to do what we believe that we're supposed to do and then falling apart. I don't think that's really failure. If I try to do something 
then I haven't failed. True failure happens when we just give up and don't try at all. When we step back and step away and say, that's enough, I'm not doing this again. Give you an example. If your team of choice, and you know the choice is here in, in, in the black belt, if your team of choice doesn't win the championship, some people would say, well, they failed, especially the people from the other team. But the reality is, if they went on the field, they competed, and they did not succeed, they did not fail, they attempted. And so often in life, we forget that our failure comes not when we attempt and we fail, but when we don't even try at all. That's the discouragement of life many times. We just give up. The fact that you competed and you tried, and you worked toward attaining a goal, but you fell short, does not mean you totally failed. Failure would have been quitting. Failure would have been not making an attempt at all. And that's a failure we find ourselves in many times. We just give up. Over the last two years, we have all suffered from this pandemic. It's affected us economically, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every, order, every other way. It's terrifying what it's done to us. It's changed us. And many people have failed in the sense that they've given up. They've gotten used to sitting at home. They said, I don't want to go to church because it's just too much effort when I can sit here and I can, I can watch or listen. But the reality is this. There's something special about gathering together as the body of Christ. We need one another. We need to feed off of one another. We need the strength that we gain from one another when we encounter each other. One of the blessings of being in a small town like Selma is that I can encounter the body of Christ from this church many times a week. If I go by Pilcher McBride, I'm going to make sure that I either speak to Brittany or Jim. And one of the two of them are always there, sometimes both of them. And Jim, as much as I know it irritates you when you've got your headpiece in there and you're sitting there at your computer trying to get approval on any number of prescriptions, I bug you, but I need you. I really do. You encourage me. You let me know, you know, that, that, that I matter. And I need to feed off of that, and I enjoy that, and, and I have to be a part of that. Same thing with Barry. If I go in there, I'm not looking to buy another car, y'all selling stuff before you get it in. But I can go in and sit down with Barry and talk for a few minutes. And I feel better about life. You're an encourager. We need one another. You can't sit at home and get that. Our live streaming, I love it. I think it's great. But, but sitting at home watching on a computer or a phone is not the same as being with the body of Christ. We need one another. And many people have given up. They said, this is the way I want to live. This is the safe way because the moment I go out, that fellow with the weird name will come on TV again and say, we've got another virus. People don't give up. What you do is too important. You must make an attempt. You can't fall into that trap. I'm not surprised that Simon Peter failed and that he fell. We do that all the time. What I want to think about this morning is several things. Number one, what kind of failure do we fall into? And also, why did our Lord happen to discuss this ahead of time with Simon Peter? Why did he tell him that? 
They're there at the, at the Seder meal, the, the, the Last Supper as we call it. Jesus is leading his disciples through the remembrance of coming out of their bondage in Egypt, the, the, the Israelite family. They went through the elements one by one. But at a point, Jesus broke away from what they traditionally would do. It's something that happened every year. It was a reminder of the slavery that the children of Israel had gone through, but also a reminder of the slavery of sin. And Jesus picks up the bread, and he takes the chalice of wine, and he sets them apart to use them as an example of what was about to happen. And then in the midst of that, he tells them that one of them will, will walk away and, and literally give him over. And he did. But he looked at Simon Peter and he said, before the sun comes up, you'll deny me three times. And he vehemently fought that. He was so aggravated because he thought that his eyes of faith were focused on Jesus. Simon Peter even said in verse 35, he said, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And he so simply did it. Things turned the wrong way. Not in a way that he had expected. And everything fell apart. There's several kinds of faith that can be deadly for the follower of Christ. And one of them we see in Simon Peter. Simon Peter thought in his head, in his mind, he knew the way that Jesus was going. He just understood that Jesus was going to take over the Roman Empire, sit on the seat of Caesar, and they would be his lieutenants, his senators, to, to, to lead the empire forward. Beautiful picture, wasn't it? He just knew that that was what would happen, but apparently he didn't know the law. The law said very simply, the soul that sinneth must die. That a perfect sacrifice was coming. That the sacrifices made by the Jews were only temporary. That One day there'd be a permanent sacrifice. And all of that was wiped away from his memory. He thought that suddenly the Messiah was going to take over. And he didn't realize what a horrible degradation of holiness would it be for Jesus to sit on a corrupt seat like the seat of the Roman Caesar. What a smallness and insignificance that would be compared to sitting on the throne that he left to come to earth in the incarnation. No, that was never his plan. But they too easily mixed their dreams with his teaching and their faith went askew. I want to look at the kinds of faith for a little bit that we can get in trouble with. And the first is simply this. Faith with expectations. Now let me explain to you what I mean by this. That's when you expect God to favorably answer your prayer request because you just know that what you want is the best and surely what He has for you couldn't be any better. Now that sounds kind of silly, but it's the truth. Many times in life we do that ourselves. We fall into the trap of, of, of feeding our expectations 
into God's desire for us rather than listening to him and saying, Lord, you take the pencil, you take the paper, and you draw out what I should be and do, and I'll trust you. Now, we have an idea that we know how things should go. We want to help God along. The reality is many people are like that horrible bumper sticker and license plate that came out back in the 60s that said, God is my co-pilot. Remember what a co-pilot is? He's the guy that's there just in case the pilot can't control things or he needs to step away from the wheel. God is not our co-pilot. He is our engine. He's our pilot. He's our navigator. He's our substance. He's everything to us. We're useless without him. We're hopeless without his presence and power. No, I believe if, if Simon Peter drove to church this morning, he'd been in a Ford truck with a God is my co-pilot tag on the front because that was what he originally thought. He thought, God, we can take care of this. He tries in so many ways to do that. He tries to give advice to Jesus when he said, oh, no, Lord, you, you, you don't have to die. You don't have to die. He had a way of, of speaking and he felt that his words were more powerful I don't think he fully understood who Jesus was, just like many people today in the church don't understand who Jesus really is. Secondly, a danger is having a faith with presuppositions. Now, to presuppose something means that you've determined ahead of time you know the situation, and because you presuppose that God is thinking like you, he sees what you want, and after all, isn't isn't that what Jesus is all about, making you happy? That's what the TV preacher said the other day when I was listening to him. God wants you to be happy. I like the little picture that popped up on Facebook the other day where one of the TV preachers from Texas that I won't mention made the comment. He said, well, of course we know what the teaching of Noah in the ark is. God meant for all of us to have a yacht, right, Jeff? We should all have a yacht. Now, the reality is that we get confused many times. We presuppose we know what God is saying. And no, God isn't like Santa Claus. He's certainly not like a benevolent grandmother. Someone we can love and care about and be nice to and get what we want. No, that's not how it works, dear people. God has a plan for your life that's better than your plans. He has a pathway for you to go that you can't even imagine. That pathway may take you through some perilous situations. It may take you near danger or even through disasters. But as He takes you through that, He is conditioning and preparing you for the work not only you'll do as you complete here on earth, but He'll prepare you for heaven. And What more could He do? Oh, and by the way, He doesn't need us consulting on that. All he needs for us to do is to submit and to love and to trust him. Many times we spend a lot of our times readjusting because we start walking away and we turn around and we look and Jesus is going another direction. And we have to go back and find where he is because we've gone the wrong way. The third problem is this, faith with preconditions. And If you're in business, you know what preconditions are. You'll trust God if he will give you what you want. And I know people that pray that way. Lord, if, if, you'll, if you'll do this, I'll do this. 
Now, in order to, to bargain with God, we have to have something that he needs. And there's nothing God really needs. He wants us to be obedient to him. He, he loves us. He, he died on the cross for us. Jesus loves us more than, than, than any person on earth. But he doesn't need us. That's what's so amazing. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And we can't bargain with God. We can't offer him something. God isn't sitting there like a mother on the edge of the tub trying to coax her child into the tub to take a bath and she'll promise him candy or a lollipop after he gets in the tub. No, it doesn't work that way. Faith has to come with no preconditions. We have to trust him. Matthew 6.11 says a statement that I just love in, in part of the, the prayer that we're to pray. And give us this day our daily bread. That daily bread is about survival. It's not about a wish list. It's not about God giving us what we want. It's about him providing what we need. And other than that, he loves us and he wants to guide us. Think about this. God does not use, and, and, and I had the opportunity years ago to meet B.F. Skinner at Georgia Tech and hear him lecture on operant conditioning. You know what I'm talking about, the Pavlovian dog, the one that would slobber when he'd see food, and they were able to detect that. Uh, the little monkey that keeps hitting the little paddle because he knows if he hits it 16 times on the 17th time, a piece of fruit will fall down there to him. God isn't about... Operant conditioning, getting us to jump when he says jump. That's not the way he works. Not at all. Not at all. Here's how God works. God wants to put his Holy Spirit within us and for us to respond to that Holy Spirit in a powerful way. God wants us to walk in his pathways and to hear his voice. I had a professor years ago, Dr. Jean Hendricks, who I love dearly. I became good friends with her. I stood by her through some illnesses in her life, and I was there at the funeral to speak on her behalf. Jean Hendricks taught one of the most powerful things I, I've learned in, in all of my college degrees, and it was this. Education is not about learning what to think. It's about learning how to think. Now, that's something that's not taught a great deal to, today to the student, but we need to learn how to think. It's one thing to line up a, 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 a whole litany of information and be able to regurgitate it when asked. That's kind of like the Pavlovian dog. But how you take the information you've been given and use it in a, in a realistic way to change your life and the lives of others, that is true learning, and that's what God wants us to do with faith. Faith is about being obedient to God, not arguing with Him, not getting into a disagreement with Him and constantly trying to negotiate, but it's about listening to Him. I want to remind you of this too. Suffering the consequences of our poor choices should never be seen as God judging us. Some people spend their life mad at God because they'll say, well, God's just judging me. I know I made bad choices. I know I failed, but he keeps judging me. No, he doesn't. Judgment's coming once, and it comes at the end of life 
when you step into eternity. Then you're judged. But right now, God is freely allowing you to make choices. Here's the problem. When you make the wrong choice or you make a, a poor choice, you're going to suffer the consequences of that. If you look down at your car and, and you say, you know, I think I've got enough gas to get to Montgomery and I'll buy gas there, and you end up in Whitehall and you run out of gas, well, John Friday's there to help you, but the reality is you made a poor choice. There were plenty of gas stations here, and we all do that. We all do that. But don't blame God for that. It's what you learn after that choice that qualifies you to be a person of faith. I remind you that the Simon Peter that, that denied the Lord three times turned and looked at him and realized it and wept bitterly was the same man that after all of that was recommissioned, was sent out, and led the church in a mighty way in the book of Acts. What a powerful man he became. So he really didn't fail because he never gave up. But also remember this. We're not playing chess with God. Jesus purchased our way to heaven. We're not playing a game with him. This is for keeps. We've given our heart to him. He's purchased us with His blood. He's given us His Holy Spirit. We're not in a position to decide our future. We're to submit to Him. We don't spend our life running from temptation when we're embracing Jesus. When we love Him and stay focused on Him, temptation does not become an issue in our life because we can't look away from the one we love at those things that will deceive us if we love him as we should. I want to throw out a name that you're maybe not familiar with, but one that I remember hearing many years ago. He's a Frenchman by the name of Charles Blondin. I heard about him because I had the opportunity when I was young to meet in a very strange situation in downtown Atlanta one of the great tightrope walkers of the world, Carl Wallenda. He was going to walk across, and he did walk across a gorge in North Georgia mountains. That was a big deal back then because the gorge was a place that was very deadly and dangerous. Tallulah Gorge was a place that you'd go to, and Jeff, I'm sure you went there as a kid like I did. The wind was always blowing up there. It never seemed to cease. And the wire kept moving when Carl Walenda walked across there. But I don't want to talk about him. I want to talk about Charles Blondin. Charles Blondin was a tightrope walker. And he attempted many, many walks. He never failed, by the way. And he never f fell. It is said that, that when he gave his last performance in 1896, it is estimated that he crossed Niagara Falls 300 times and walked more than 10,000 miles on his tightrope. By the way, you know how he died? Complications from diabetes. Isn't that funny? Lived a risky life, but that's how he died. Now, I want to talk about, about the fourth time he walked across the Niagara Falls. In fact, the rope stayed stretched across there for many years because he would come back periodically and walk across. He was preparing to walk across, and, and he said the pull of the falls pulled the rope down and made it very, very uh, cantankerous. And as he was starting across one time, he grabbed a wheelbarrow that he had. They had taken the tire off, and it just had... Uh, the inside that would literally sit on there. And he said, do you think that I can walk across with the wheelbarrow? And everybody cheered. And he walked across and he came back. 
when he came back. He said, how many people think I could go across with a wheelbarrow with a man inside? And they all cheered even more loudly. And then he paused and he said, who will be that man? That was the quietest group he said he had ever observed. See, that's what faith is. Who will get in the wheelbarrow and trust God? And not interfere with what he's doing in our life. Simon Peter's story is not there to humiliate Simon Peter. It's to warn us that in our life and in our pathways, we must trust him implicitly and never look to the side. For as we walk into this this holy week, this celebration of the giving of the greatest gift we've ever received, are we prepared to have faith in him? Is it going to be just a good experience, another Easter, eating too much and celebrating with family, or will it be a time that we trust Him perfectly and totally as we're called to? Let us pray. Father, I ask that Your Holy Spirit would guide us because as we come to Your table, it's important for us to prepare to realize the importance of what we're doing for even in the invitation as we sing the hymn, we're making a choice to give ourselves over to you, but we're also choosing at this table, are we willing to trust you totally and absolutely for all things? I pray that you'd speak to our hearts now, prepare us for this table in the confession of sins. And if there's a decision before this table that we need to make, even now during this invitation. May that choice be on our heart and on our lips, and may we be prepared to do it even now. For I pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.